Just when I guessed you could not sink any lower, you're listening to the Rish Outcast. Well, you've kind of made your bed, haven't you? First thing is first, it is raining outside and I will podcast now, but I need to focus on the drive. Oh, I focus on the drive. Oh, I always say Chalupa and I sing a song about it. And you may think it's super, but my therapist said that it is mental illness. Ooh. He says I need to be committed, ho. This is Rish Outfield, and you are listening to the Rish Out cast. I was going to do a a story episode today, and then at the last minute I changed my mind. Because it's raining, and I don't think you'll be able to hear it. In the past, you can't hear the rain above the uh, the engine, and... Sometimes you can hear the wipers, but just take my word for it. It's raining pretty hard. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to focus on driving. I have to admit that I've become very lazy lately. And I haven't been putting out episodes. I haven't been blogging. I haven't been exercising and I haven't been writing. And after doing those things for a year straight, well writing and blogging for two years straight. I really have felt the difference. Well, I've felt the difference in my body, having exercised for over a year every single day, rain or shine, stopping doing it. I felt a change immediately. Like yesterday, I dropped something and it went under the couch and I got down on my hands and knees and reached under the couch and pulled it out. And as I was getting up, I pulled some muscle in my leg. Not falling, not running, nothing. Just getting up off the floor. And I felt it today while I was on the stairs. And I thought, come on. Um, And I, I fully believe that were I still exercising every single day, that would not have happened. And I would weigh less than I do right now. But I, I am trying. I went for a run yesterday. I meant to today. A year ago, I would have done my push-ups and sit-ups and said, well, I won't go for a run because it's raining. But a year before that, I would have gone for the run in the rain to heck with moisture and comfort. I, I don't know why I'm talking about... Dang it. I'm not sure why I'm talking about exercise. What I meant to talk about was that I'm not very ambitious right now. I'm not accomplishing a great deal. Blogging is not a priority. Writing is not a priority. And podcasting is not a priority. But for a while there, it was something that I would rotate that through every single day. I would work on another podcast. Right now, I'm doing an audiobook for pay and that gets all of my attention but I could do both if I wanted to the last time that I was ambitious was when I was doing the daily podcasts the daily outcast episodes should still be available over at my patreon page uh, for free 
if you want to just go over there and listen to each one, I, I, I would enjoy that. I'm not sure that you would, but hey, it's good that one of us is getting something out of this. And that was a bit of a challenge, trying to get those episodes out every single day. Uh, and the second I was done with that, I was like, okay, vacation time. Let's take a break, huh? Unfortunately, it became a permanent vacation. And I just don't feel like doing all this stuff anymore. So I, that means I need to change. And part of it was the winter. You know, it, it, I guess the winter makes you laugh a little slower, makes you talk a little lower about the things you could not show her. But soon the weather is going to get warm again and maybe I will have more energy and more excitement to podcast and to, to, to share things with you. I, I hope so. Oh, but that reminds me. There were a couple of episodes of The Daily Outcast that I inadvertently deleted. And I got through all of the ones that I had and, and it was impossible for me to remember what ones I had recorded that were gone. Because it was just a stream of consciousness most of the time. I would talk about what was going on with my day or what was on my mind at the time. And uh, yeah, you can't really keep track of that. Although I, I maybe if I do it again, I will. I'll write down what the topic uh, is of each one. But something that I didn't realize until it was done was that uh, I had asked my supporters for some questions topics, things to talk about, well, you know, while I was doing the Daily Outcast. And one of them, Rob Broughton, oh, it's already been broughten. gave me a, a big list. And I, I guess that was one of the ones, although I, I imagine that was like three episodes that I lost and didn't realize I had lost. He's always been very kind to me, always been very uh, supportive. And so I thought I would take this rainy night and address those questions that he sent. And I think we can have some fun together. So Rob's first question is, what supernatural event or encounter would you most want to happen to you? Why? Ignoring the easy answer of finding a genie in a lamp, because then you could just wish for three more encounters, and then we're right back to where we started. Okay, I hadn't thought of the genie in the lamp, but boy, now that you brought it up, the stuff I would wish for... Supernatural encounter. So I have seen a UFO, and it didn't change my life any because it was just something in the sky that I couldn't explain. And I saw it with a bunch of other people, and that was kind of neat that we shared this experience. We didn't talk about it much much afterward, but it seems like it's the kind of thing that could bond you and your friends. Um, as far as other supernatural encounters go, I did talk recently about having an out-of-body experience multiple times, and... That is something that I am chalking up to exhaustion. The fact that the people I've told that to have not experienced it themselves does make me think, okay, well, maybe there's something else going on. But 
I'm reminded, my friend Ian told me this story, and he told it over and over and over again about this time that he was super tired, like so insanely tired that he started to see ghosts. And by ghosts, I guess he means spectral forms that were rising up out of the ground. He's told the story so many times I could probably recite it verbatim, but it's been 15 years since the last time I heard him say it. But basically he went on a road trip and they were taking turns driving and then Big Anklevich got really, really sick. And Big has told me that it's the sickest he's ever been. And he just, he prayed to Shiva, let me die. But he did not. No, the evil of Kali take me. And that forced Ian to continue driving, even though he had been driving for hours and hours. And he was just so, so tired. And it was one of those where you're slapping your face, you're rolling down the window, you're turning the music up really loud, trying to stay awake. And then you've got Big Anklevich in the back seat who's just like, stop it! Leave the window up! Stop playing the radio! Hey! What are you slapping? You know? We'll be alive, but like a nightmare. And Ian said that he, he was focusing on the road in front of him, and he started to see these shapes, these forms that were human-like, rising up out of the asphalt. It was freaking him out because he just kept seeing it. And he's like, oh my gosh, what, what is happening? He told this story and it was really interesting to me. It captured my imagination. And I started to write a story, basically a novella, about a guy who is in this situation. He's in a scenario where he's so tired that he can see ghosts and he sees the ghost of a girl who uh, died along the interstate or whatever and he ends up pulling over because he thinks that she is like a hitchhiker or something like that you know it's like oh my gosh you're right you're in the middle of the road what is going on he pulls over and she's astounded that he can see her but when she speaks he can't hear her voice he's actually seeing past the veil you know he's seeing a ghost but they can't really communicate with each other yet they have this connection they have this moment together and he strives to replicate it he wants to see her again and he he comes to the realization that i was so tired and maybe he talks to a doctor maybe he talks to somebody i i had this scene that i wrote that i was really proud of where he talks to a sleep therapist or something like that, who talk, who says, yeah, your brain can do all sorts of crazy things when it is, when it is robbed of sleep. And, you know, you can't trust what you see or hear when you are that tired. And he talks about this experiment that some scientists did where they took a bunch of lab rats and they starved some of them to death. They took a bunch of lab rats and they kept them from water so that they died of thirst. And then he took, they took a bunch of lab rats and they would give them electric volts every time they went to sleep to keep them awake until they died. And then they dissected the rats' brains just to see what dying of hunger, what dying of thirst, and what dying of exhaustion 
did to the brain. And they found that the brains of the rats that had died of hunger and thirst were normal, were the same as just a, a regular rat. But the brains of the rats that they had kept awake had decomposed, had corroded, had fallen apart. The brain needs sleep or it absolutely starts to atrophy and cannibalize itself. Anyway, I don't remember why I never finished this story that I was writing. I had an ending for it. I knew where it was going. I was excited about it. But about two-thirds of everything that I wrote when I was young, I didn't finish. And here we are in the 2020s, and I've gotten it up to half. Half of everything that I write, I don't finish. During the writing every single day, I got to about 35% of the things that I write, I don't finish. It's the best I've ever done in my life, but it's still bad. That reminds me of one of the panels that I went to at the Writers' Conference, not this year, but a couple of years ago, one of the panels was about finishing what you start, you know, finishing your project. And it was something that I really wanted to go to. I just wanted somebody to say these magic words that would fix everything, that would fix me. And suddenly I would go from finishing 50% of things or less to finishing everything, 100%. And though there were no magic words there. But one of the writers was a professional writer, Kevin J. Anderson. And he said, I finish almost everything that I start now. But I can't pat myself on the back too much because I start far fewer projects than I used to. I only write projects that have a paycheck attached to them now but I finish all of them because they have deadlines, because they have a paycheck, because my family will eat if I finish it. The things that I used to write for myself just because they were entertaining to me, or maybe I could sell them at some point on, in the future, or maybe it was just an idea that had jumped into my head and I couldn't get rid of it. Those, I, I just, I don't write anymore. This has nothing to do with what Rob asked me. I am sorry. You not wake up from nightmare. The last thing that I would want to have as a, a supernatural experience would be to see a ghost. Because I am not mentally capable of processing that. And I talked in a Patreon address last year about this almost supernatural experience I had where I was talking to my brother and I looked up and he was no longer my brother. He was somebody else. He was a stranger. And it was a surreal, really weird experience. One that has never, I've never had before and I've never had since. And I look at my brother when I see him now. I see him about twice a month. Usually we meet up at my mom's place 
for like a Sunday dinner about once a month or more. And every time I see him, I make sure I look at him straight on because it's like I'm daring my brain to repeat that experience. It's like, okay, let's see if he looks like him today. And he always does. It is my brother still. So I can't explain what happened to me in, uh, I'd say, November or October, one of those two months of uh, 2021. You know, maybe it was LSD or something, but it only affected my brother. I didn't look at other people and they weren't themselves. When I went to college, I think my junior year, I wrote a paper about Bigfoot and I found it really interesting reading up on Bigfoot, you know, various cultures have their own Bigfoot myth, whether they call it that or not. And I think seeing Bigfoot would be very interesting. The ghost thing would haunt me, no pun intended, because I'm afraid of ghosts. I'm really afraid of, of uh, sinister supernatural force. And some people I would say... Well, no, that evidence that life continues after death would be so affirming, would be so... It would help you decide what is important in this world, except for that it wouldn't. Because seeing a ghost doesn't mean that it adheres to a Judeo-Christian idea of an afterlife with a heaven and a hell and a purgatory and all of that happy crappy... Sorry. It may mean you know, that some form of life continues afterward or some beings that we can't explain exist. It doesn't feel reassuring to me. Like, oh, oh, hey, that's great. I saw something in the cemetery. No, no, that's not great. So the battery died in my uh, microphone and uh, I had to go to buy a replacement battery and now it's 2.24 a.m. and I just don't have the energy to sit down and try and put in a battery. So you'll just have to deal with this. I was still trying to talk about supernatural experiences. Oh, okay. Here you go. Was it supernatural encounter? Oh, you know, maybe that doesn't count. I was going to say time travel. That's what I want to experience. That's a supernatural occurrence that I want to participate in. I want to meet a time traveler. <laughs> I'm really interested in time travel and, and, and the idea of going back and talking to myself or going back and giving myself advice or, you know, meeting my future self and getting a leg up, you know, some advice. Uh, that will make the future better. Not that I didn't already have a leg up being born white, male, and American. But, uh, you know, everybody has their problems. I'm not sure if time travel counts as a supernatural encounter. How about prophetic dreams? Are prophetic dreams supernatural encounters? The thing is, I don't want to meet a ghost. And I'm not super keen about meeting an alien unless 
It's one of those, oh my gosh, those aliens look just like us, just with better skin. And they really, really need a sample of your DNA, the old-fashioned way. Um, let's see. Angels. Angels are supernatural encounters. I, I suppose witches, uh, trolls, fairies, goblins. There you go, Rob. I want to meet and hang out with a goblin. No, that's not true either. I'm, I'm really tempted to say I have answered this question. Asked and answered, Your Honor. But I, I'm not sure that I actually have. Maybe I'll just go on to the second question. Speaking of supernatural encounters, if you discovered a cute, happy fairy, oh, hey, while you were out hiking, and it smiled and beckoned to you, would you follow as it flit, flittered away? How far would you go? Would you stop when it reached the shadowy part of the forest and kept gesturing for you to follow further and further from your car? How do you feel about your answer? Damn, that's a good question. It makes me wonder how I answered it the first time. I vaguely remember saying, uh, yes, and then moving on, saying, that's all the time we've got for tonight, folks. But, um, yeah, I think I would. So a fairy beckons to me, and my assumption is it's not speaking, but like it's simply gesturing. I do have a very acute sense of curiosity, and I would enjoy maybe the chase of it all. But once we get to the shadowy part of the forest, so here you are, let's say you're on a bit of a ridge and the forest continues in front of you, but and you pause and you look behind you and you realize just how far you've gone. Not just a ways, but you've gone miles now and way back there you think you can see maybe the clearing where you first entered here and just beyond that clearing is your car but once you go into the forest then everything familiar and everything safe is gone and the point of no return is upon you i think that i would pause at that point and have to consider my options. For example, do I have cell phone service? And the answer is no, no cell phone service. But let's say that I had no cell phone service to begin with. So I'm truly on my own. At this point, I guess you ask yourself, well, what do I stand to gain if I go into the forest, into the dark? And I guess what you stand to gain is an answer to what is out there, an answer to what does the fairy want. Maybe there's treasure, maybe there is something in the forest that has monetary value. Maybe there's intercourse awaiting you. But it depends on what my gut is telling me. As you know, I have an overactive imagination, Bob, and it's very easy for me to imagine really dark scenarios. And so 
I've reached this point, this threshold of the forest, and my gut says, you're going to die if you go in there. Or my gut says, what if something horrible is in there? I'm not sure that I would go into the forest at this point. And it would be one of those things where maybe for the rest of your life, you wonder, how would life be different if I had gone after the... It, so when you tell the story, let's say you're telling your sister-in-law the story, and she's like, but you know that it was a fairy and not something else. And it wasn't a hallucination, and it wasn't a prank that somebody was playing on you. It was a fairy, and you didn't follow it into the forest. What, why? I think that that would bother you forever. You would wonder, what would have happened if I had gone in there? What might I have discovered? Who might I be today if I had taken that leap of faith or that blind step into the unknown? One, you know, a giant leap for mankind. A lot of times, Bob, as you know, I play it safe, and I am cowardly, and I'm frankly impressed with myself that I followed it for a mile and a quarter. But I turn back, and I trudge back toward the car, and I probably would stop a couple of times and look back and hope that I could see the fairy again. Hope that the fairy so much wanted to share her world with me or her insight or her duffel bag filled with 1960s comic books that she came out again to try to communicate, to try to convince me that there was nothing to be afraid of. But every time I look, there's nothing there. There's no one there. And I guess I would try to convince myself that I would be dead if I had followed her, that there was definitely something else going on, that it was a siren song, that it was a pitcher plant, that it was going to lead me to my doom, and that I'm here and alive today to tell you the story because I didn't follow her into the forest. And I suppose that that's why I would tell to the people that don't believe that I ever saw a fairy. But... At night, when it's just me in my empty bed, I think I, would, I wouldn't believe that death awaited me in there. It, it's something that I would regret. But, you know, that, that's who I am. That's, that's what I am. And maybe the people that, that follow the fairy into the dark are the ones who really make a difference in the world who really reach their potential. But at the same time, imagine that you step into the forest, you walk a hundred yards, and that's where you find the first bones. And in front of you are so many bones, and they can only belong to one kind of animal. And you realize, this was a mistake. Sorry about that. I, I guess this is a glimpse inside myself. 
Uh, let's ask a little bit more uh, benign a question, okay? Qu uh, question number three. When did you last soil yourself? Oh, come on, man. Rob, why would you ask a question like that? You know it's today. Next question. Have you ever had a genuine, wow, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me moment? What happened? If not, then maybe share a feel-good story about someone saying something nice to you. The, the answer that first came into my mind is, I was talking to my friend Katie years ago, and I made some kind of joke. And it was in poor taste. It probably had innuendo in it or something like that. And I said, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. That came out much dirtier than I intended. I, I, I apologize if I offended you. And she said, nothing you could say would ever offend me. This would have been 1991 that she said that. And... I've remembered it all these years later. It was just a beautiful thing to say to somebody. That was the first thing that came to mind. The second thing that came to mind is when I first moved away from home and I was going to LA, I wrote this little mini essay on the website that I shared with Jeff uh, talking about the future and the future is, is unknown. And maybe it's great. I hope that it's great. But let's take a moment to look around at where we are right now, because this is the last time we'll ever be here in this moment right now. And this is pretty dang good. Raise a glass with me and toast to right now. And I posted that and a guy emailed me. And I know I've told this story before, but I will continue to tell this story. But a guy emailed me and he said, hey, that really moved me. What you said about where we are right now is pretty good. Raise a glass to right now. And I was out with this girl. It, it was not going well, but I really liked her. And so I said what you said that, you know, Tomorrow's going to be great, or, you know, I'm sure you're going to go out with much better guys than me, but tonight is really special to me. I look around, and tonight is pretty darn good. So, have a toast with me to tonight. And he raised a glass, and she toasted with him, and it really, it moved her. It really got to her, and she went to bed with him. I couldn't believe that, that, that my words had gotten this guy laid. I, 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 and I probably told this story too many times. Because if you're not me, you're like, so? That doesn't help you any. People hook up all the time. People hook up with strangers. I went to a bar with a co-worker. His name was Matt. And he sort of took me under his wing and was telling me about the world and uh, about life. And, 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 you know, he seemed to have a lot of wisdom. He wasn't much older than me, but he was more confident. And 
and, and we had gone there and uh, he's just like, you know, what do you what do you like to drink? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean? And it's like, I, I don't drink. And he's like, what is wrong with you? This stuff is magical. And he was he was telling me about you see a pretty girl at a bar and you approach her and ask if you can buy her a drink. And I think he said nine times out of ten, she'll be like, sure. I was like, seriously, nine times out of ten? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, for you. And he's like, for anybody. He's like, what would you do if a girl came up to you and said, can I buy you a drink? And I said, well, I would be flabbergasted. He said, would you say no? I said, no, no, of course I'd say yes. And he's like, okay, here's a, a little secret. Girls are people just like you. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he's like, okay, let's uh, le le let's look around. Okay, hey, do you see that girl with the dark hair over there? He's like, what do you think? Pretty hot, right? I was like, yeah, oh, that girl's really hot. And he says, do you think I could pull a girl like that? And I was like, pull her what? Like her hair? And he's just like, oh, geez. He says, do you think that I could pick up a girl like that? And I said, well, I... I don't know. I, uh, I don't know about that. She's really, really attractive. And he's like, watch. Anyway, he went over and he talked to her. And I couldn't hear what he was saying. And I just watched with curiosity. And my, his words were echoing in my mind. The idea of nine times out of ten, the girl will say yes. And so I watched and I was just like, we're going to find out if he's right or not. And so... Clearly, he asked her if he could get her a drink, and she didn't say no because before long, he talked to the bartender, and he got two of something, and they were sharing it, and they were chatting, and eventually, they came over to talk to me, and, and see, I was sitting by myself alone, waiting for Matt to come back and, and impart more wisdom to me, and when he finally came over with this girl, he's like, hey, Rich, this is Monica. Monica what? And she said, you know, Geller. I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Suddenly she's Courtney Cox. I, I, I'm not sure why I thought that. But uh, he's like, yeah, Monica uh, is, uh, Monica lives in Culver City. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, we, I work in Culver City. He's like, yeah, I told her that. I, I, the two of us are going to get out of here. And I said, what? Where are you going? And he goes, where do you think? And my mouth dropped open. I, I, could not believe it. He had known this girl for, let me be generous and say 25 minutes, but it's much more likely it was 15. They were getting out of there together and he said, hey, you know, this has been really fun. We'll have to do this again. And I was like, well, Matt, you drove me here. And he's like, yeah, oh, sorry, buddy. You're going to have to find your own way home. And he took off with this girl. And I just, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it, it was that easy. I, I still can't believe it. That's all because of me an hour ago saying, I know what you're saying. People hook up all the time. But to me, it's just uh, a mystery how these things work. And if I live to be... 50. I'll never understand the mystery. I was going to say if I lived to be 80, but I thought it would be funnier if I said 50. 
Oh, oh, moral of the story. So a guy telling me that my words got a girl to sleep with him. It made me happy vicariously. It, may, it, it was one of those where, oh, it's a beautiful night. Look at those stars. Look at that moon. I hope there are young people in love that are looking at those stars and that moon right now. And it makes me feel a tiny bit less alone to imagine that they are looking at the same star, that they are looking at the same moon, that they're maybe holding hands, have their arms around each other. It's three of us. Sorry, as creepy as that may sound, sir and ma'am. It's three of us sharing this right now. I don't, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Abigail Hilton recently wanted me to do one of her audiobooks, and I was reluctant. And, uh, reluctant's not the perfect word. I was not confident that I would was the best person for the job. I think we've talked about this before. But what she did was she posted on her blog or on her Patreon. Rish isn't sure if he's going to do this next book. Do you guys have any words of encouragement for him? And this huge flood of praise and compliments and adoration came from her fans that loved the way that I narrated her books and loved my voice and loved the extra effort that I put into those suckers to the point where after like the fifth or sixth one that she sent me, I was in. I was like, okay, of course I'll, I will narrate the next book. But she continued to send them to me. After that, that's got to qualify. That, that's pretty high. Just the, the way that people appreciated what I did on those books. That, that made me feel very good. And uh, I know I'm a good narrator. Nobody is more nitpicky about my narration than me. Like the, the little mouth sounds and breaths and different takes and, ooh, I don't like the way I pronounced that, etc. I was going to say nobody is more particular. Maybe Abby is, is just as particular as I am. But I feel like I do a dang good job. And there are professional audiobooks that I listen to that aren't nearly as good. But that, you know, that's just taste, personal taste, as far as the performances go. My writing, I'm much, much more hesitant about. And I, I long to hear people say, you know, oh my gosh, that was so good. Or, you know, that made me cry or that made me laugh or that made me soil myself because I, uh, I, I read your story. And I have heard those kind of things. I remember somebody saying that a story that I wrote was their favorite story that we had run on the Dune Steve. Believe me, that feels good. I just, you know, I forget a lot of times. And not every story is somebody's favorite. But I keep trying. There are things that I want the reader or the listener to feel. And if I can, in words, make somebody feel that, then, then that is a success. But I can't always do it. I want somebody to laugh at this line. I want somebody to be afraid at this moment. I want somebody to cry either of sadness or of the joy of 
a happy ending. And I, I can't always pull it off. But I'm, ke- I'm still trying. I'm still working at it. And uh, I'm going to call it a night. It's 2.51 a.m. Uh, I'll answer your next question soon. All right, we are back in the car. And I got the battery back in my microphone. So the quality could be better, except for that I just realized the seatbelt is rubbing against the microphone. All right, here we go. Next question, sir. Who is your favorite listener? Chromie Star Song. Next question. Have you ever... Oh, no. Uh, I, I misinterpreted the question. I thought it was which listener has the coolest name. So I guess I will say... You? Oh, it's already been berotted. Next question. Which audio production of yours are you the most proud of? Why? There have been ones with lots of effects, ones with tons of characters that all feel distinct, and ones with intense acting performances. Which audio skills are you proudest of? Most of the hard work in audio that I've done was for the Doonstief. It was a learning curve. The first couple of episodes, the sound quality isn't great, and we hadn't learned how to seamlessly make it sound like people, different actors were in the room together, and how to remove hiss and stuff like that. And those stories are hindered by the low audio quality. I especially regretted the quality of the very first episode that we put out. Big did the second episode and I did the first episode and we did them concurrently. We were both editing them. I think we recorded them the same night and then we both went our separate ways and we're working on them. And I never liked the end result. It just as far as the, the sound went. And, and as we continued to do our show, we got better. And unfortunately, as we got better at the basics, we started experimenting more and doing stuff with effects and that sort of thing. And that, that raised the bar. And then with the bar raised, it no longer felt satisfying to just do a regular story episode where I did all of the voices or or if it was just me and Big and we didn't have music, we didn't have sound effects or reverb and stuff like that. And so the ones that I'm most proud of probably were the ones that had the most work. The episode that comes to mind that was the most work for me was that we had a submission from a guy who's who English was his second language, and it was a story about the ocean and a sort of a siren song from the ocean that lures this couple to their doom. Uh, It was a story that I really liked, and I liked it enough to overlook the flaws that it had. And it was the only time I ever did this, but I I did a rewrite of the story to fix the stuff that was, you know phrased badly, you know, broken English kind of thing. 
then I created a song that the, the apparition would sing. And I believe that I got Big's kids to learn it. You know, I sang it and then had them repeat it and we recorded it and then we put reverb on that or whatever. And it's just an extraordinary amount of work. And I don't, I, I certainly wouldn't do that much work today. I am fine just to do a straight read uh, with, with projects today. And by straight read, I guess I mean just me. I, I think other people probably mean uh, something different when they say straight read. I am very, very picky about what I like in audio, as I've said before, and I strive to have characters sound different, and I, I strive to have distinctive voices that I can go back to again and again, and you know that is the voice for so-and-so. But I'm not perfect at it. And I think Abigail Hilton's book, Hunters Unlucky, was the first like massive epic fantasy project where I did this with all the voices. And I talked about that last night with the praise that I've gotten about that audiobook. And I appreciate it. I certainly do. But she has sometimes sent me clips from that so that I know how I did the voices the first time. And there are lots of characters that don't really have distinctive voices. They're just, you know, me. And that bothers me that I didn't come up with a dialect or an actor or, a, you know, a tone for X character, and they don't sound very different from the characters around them. And I guess what I'm saying is that there are people out there who are better at this than I am. But I'm hoping that those people are paid a great deal. Like when my cousin and I watched the very first episode of The Bad Batch, and we get to the end credits, and I discovered that D. Bradley Baker voiced all of those characters except for Omega, I was flabbergasted because they do have individual voices and characteristics just in the way that they sound. And that was really, really cool. I mean, now granted, he's at the top of his game and, and uh, a celebrity among voice actors. I'm not quite at that level. But my Hunter's Unlucky book, or sorry, the one that I did for her, was the biggest project that I'd ever done. And it, it was the hardest work that I'd ever done in audio. And so I guess I'm most proud of that. But having said that, there are parts that I wish that I could do over and do better. And... Just yesterday, I was editing her book, Distraction, which is the third book in the Hunter's Unlucky series, and Roop and Halvory were having a conversation, and Halvory's voice is like this, and I even have him roll his R's occasionally, and Roop's voice is like this, and it's much more at the back of my throat, and they, they were speaking to each other. And there were a couple of moments where I thought, you know, Halvory's voice should have been higher in this part and Roop's voice should have been lower in this part so that everybody would know that it was Roop and Halvory talking. I was critical of myself even then 
where I've raised the bar on those Hunter's books, even from when I did Hunter's Unlucky. So I guess I'm saying, yes, Hunter's is the book that I'm most proud of. I worked my tail off on, but it's not perfect. There are moments that I, 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 I'm not going to say I cringe, but there's moments that I'm less comfortable with. And it's good that it's not my book because with my stuff, I would just endlessly re-record. And it's like, you know, this character sounds too much like the character she's talking to. I'm going to revoice that one character. Oh no, I have to revoice her throughout the rest of the book. And then I have to edit it and splice it in so that it sounds natural. And, and it just, that book would never come out if Hunter's Unlucky were my book. I guess I'm a bit of a perfectionist and that can come back to bite me. But I accept the the praise from the people that really like what I did. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess that roundaboutly answered your question. Maybe I should think about my own work, though. What am I most proud of there? As far as my own stuff goes, I like when I do, you know, unique voices or effects. You know, robot stuff or aliens demons, that kind of stuff. It's always been fun to play with those things. I suppose those can sound really samey because I just do the same thing on all of them. But I was really proud of the audio work that I did on Newfound Fame with the music and the voices. And I was listening to that the other day and I thought, oh, you know, I could do more. I could have done some Foley work here kind of thing. So it sounds like you're actually listening to the movie, uh, but it's too late. I mean, that is in the past. I become George Lucas, essentially. Always finding new things that I could fix. Yeah, that's not helpful. I, uh, I also do, uh, we did a story called You've Got a Friend, where there was the, the friend robot, the, the you know, the, the, the robot that, wanted to play and uh, I remember doing fun stuff with the voice on that and I was proud of how it came out because it sounded you could understand what he was saying but it also sounded like a robot I'd, I'd like to put out that Bosk sketch the the investigator Bosk thing uh, and and see if I could play with that soundscape it, the problem is I just I just don't have the time to that it needs to please myself sounds funny there's always time to please yourself billy now like when we did the luke skywalker story on the delusions of grandeur i remember how hearing the, the the marshal put in some like cool pod race type sounds and stuff like that and for that to sound really really good you have to go overboard with it you know have subtle sounds and bombastic sounds and layering of sounds and I'm just not in a position. I'm not in a place where I want to do that anymore. I remember when Big and I did our snow shoveling sketch. I went out into the snow with my recorder and shoveled some snow so that we would have foley. It seems like a very small thing, and it is, but it still took a lot of time, and you had to do it on a a day when there was snow, and it was the kind of snow that you could shovel. 
I don't know if that makes sense. Dang, I said it. I don't know about that. <laughs> but it's like today, there's no way I could do that because, you know, it hasn't snowed in a week. Anyhow, these are just things that I'm talking. I feel like I'm just talking now. Let's go on to the next question. Okay, last question appears to be, what do you want to change about your life between now and 50 years old? I say I don't know. 50 is just right around the corner there. So I, you know, I guess you picked a, quite a milestone. I don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about how old I am. Each birthday I, I celebrate less. You know, there's, there's less to celebrate as the years go by. Our love will never die. I'm in debt again. I went into debt again around the end of the year. And I, I'm trying to claw my way out of it. The problem is I have little impulse control. And when I see something that I want to buy, about half of the time, I'm not able to talk myself out of it. Some of the time I can't. Some of the time, my logical brain says, well, you need that. What will you do with it if you have that? And the answer is, well, it'll go in a box or it'll go on a shelf. Or worse, it'll go in the storage unit and have things piled on top of it and you'll never see it again. And that, that's just sad. But I'm trying to get myself out of debt and... Um, I'm trying to spend less than I make each month, and that way I can pay off some of my debts, and it's doable. I'm on my way. But that's not really a goal. I, a goal to be out of debt completely is a good one. And most people are not out of debt. Most people either owe more money than they're worth or they have some kind of debt that they'll have to pay off for the foreseeable future. And I've been lucky enough to be debt free at a couple points in my life where everything is paid off and it feels good. The problem is you always find something new to buy. And so... I'm in debt again, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. We'll see what happens. What, what, what do I want to change about myself? Well, I liked that I was exercising all the time. I liked how it felt when I would go running. I liked being a little bit thinner than I was, but I, I never was thin. I never was in great shape. I had gotten to the point where I could do more push-ups this month than I did two months ago or whatever, you know, last year kind of thing. And I think we probably started back to maybe not at zero, but I haven't done a push-up in two or three weeks. And uh, I'm sure that the muscles atrophy and that when I say, okay, I'm really, really going to do it this time, and I start exercising again that I'll have to lower the bar way way down so that I can actually achieve something 
because the the number of push-ups that I was doing in those goal months where it's just like, look, I, I have to do more push-ups than I did last month meant that I had to do it every single day. And then at the end of the month, I had to do more than I had been doing. And to just stop means that I'm sure there's been considerable backsliding. So I would like to get in slightly better shape. I mean, of course, I'd like to get in much, much better shape. But that's not realistic. I have a friend who's really, really heavy, and he talks about these crazy goals that are, I think, unrealistic. And I, I think it would be much healthier to set a little goal that's not all that ambitious and achieve it, and then set a little goal after that and achieve that. But that's just me. Everything works differently for different people or doesn't work at all. So yes, I would like to get in better shape or get back to exercising. And once the weather is nice, it should be easier. That doesn't mean that it will be easy. It's never easy to do things that are good for you, to eat healthy, to exercise, to write, to do yard work, to et cetera, et cetera. I could do better in all aspects of my life. But one of the things that I really wanted to do this year was publish a lot of the stuff that has just been piling up. And so what I need to do is sit down and focus on this book that I owe and get it done early. And then next month I could go on to my goals of the, the, the darn audio collection that is over two years overdue. I could do. It is done. I've even recorded the intro and copyright. And so all I have to do, I, in fact, all that is edited. All I have to do is compile it and upload it. But you find other things to do. Isn't that sad? Well, I think that's it for these questions. I really want to thank Rob for uh, asking them and for, for caring what the answers are. Feel free, not just you, Rob, but everybody to mention in the comments what supernatural encounter you would like to experience. And then what would you not want to experience uh, if you had your druthers, you know, if they're handing out supernatural brushes. It's the same day as I answered the last question, but it's uh, the end of the day. And I did go to the library before it closed and I started on a new writing project. And I'm enthusiastic about it because it's been, it's one of those that's been in my head for a couple of years and I, it hasn't really gone away. And so hopefully that means that it's a good idea and uh, the story itself will be good. We'll see. I, it's a very good feeling to start on a new project and it's a very good feeling to finish a project. I guess it's all the work in between that is, <laughs> that is hard. I appreciate those who support me on Patreon and those who just like the show. Feel free to do both. And if there are more questions that you would like answered in a very, very lengthy manner such as this, feel free to let me know. 
and I might be able to get to them on the next Daily Outcast or uh, a special episode like this. Enjoy the sunshine. Good night. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This burlap sack filled with squirming madness was produced under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. That sounds crazy too, I realize, but it means that you may download and copy the files free of charge, but they do not belong to you. Hence, you cannot charge for them or alter them for your own perfidious purposes. Wow, perfidious? Yes, like your taint. Oh, okay. Please continue. I urge you to consider going to www.patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield to support the show if you would enjoy more of this madness. Good night. Mom continued, but that boy, Alberto Sinc, but that boy, Alberto Sinclair, Alberto Sint, but that boy, Alberto Saint Clair was his ridiculous name. Uh, what was the uh, the rest? He nearly told her. He nearly told her about his own conversation about sex with his mom. He nearly told her about his own conversation about sex with his mom. Oh God. <laughs> Whoops, that... Yeah, um... Woof. He nearly told her about his own sex conversation with his mom. So don't get any ideas? Oh, uh, no problem. Oh, no problem. You believe in life after love, 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 Rick said, not daring to elaborate. Oh, no problem. Oh, uh, no problem. Feel the same inside my hand. Chalupas never get enough. Oh, no problem, Rick said, not daring to elaborate. Do you love chalupas like I do, I do? Everyone knows he promised to interfere if fairy shaft attack you. Everyone knows he promised to interfere if fairy shaft attack you. Now there's a rumor that Sidaran's fairy shaft intend to... Now there's a rumor that... Now there's a rumor that Sidaran's fairy shaft intend to raid your dens this winter. Now there's a rumor that Sidaran's fairy shaft intend to raid your dens this winter. Now there's a rumor that Now there's a rumor that Sidaran's fairy shaft intend to raid your dens this winter. Now there's a rumor that Sidaran's fairy shaft intend to raid your dens this winter. And the joints shone in the low lamplight. And the joints shone in the low lamplight like polished crab apples. And the joints shone in the low lamplight like pol and the joints shone in the low lamplight like polished crab apples. Like polished crab apples. Past the veil, you know, he's seeing a ghost. But they can't really communicate with each other and yet he he has this I did I just yawned while I was podcasting. 